When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Mortgage Lending Mastery. Get the knowledge you need from America's Mortgage Mentor. With more than 30 years of experience and over $1 billion in lifetime fundings, you'll learn to take your mortgage practice to new heights. Certified Mortgage Planner and CEO of KineticSparkConsulting.com. Here is Jennifer Duplessis. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. Today's podcast is brought to you by the great team at Maxwell. Have you heard of Maxwell yet? These guys are growing like crazy with loan officers across the country. Their borrower portal provides customizable loan apps, enables borrowers to connect with over 1,000 financial institutions to automatically pull documents like W-2s, bank statements, and pay stubs. And get this, even automated reminders via email and SMS to keep your borrowers accountable to actually get stuff done. How often do you get your docs back from your borrowers the very next day or even in an hour? Well, loan officers on Maxwell are getting full needs lists back in two days or less and are submitting to underwriting 45% faster than the national average. They're getting happier customers and making more money, a win-win for everybody. Maxwell starts at only $99 a month. To request a demo, simply text Maxwell to 797979. That's M-A-X-W-E-L-L to 797979. And make sure you mention Spark, S-P-A-R-K, to receive a special 20% discount off your first six months. Now let's get to our podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Mortgage Lending Mastery. I'm your host, Jen Duplessis, and today um, I have a very special guest with me, and his name is Dennis Black, and I'd like to share with you a little bit about Dennis. Um, His company is a sales training organization devoted exclusively to the development and sales um, development of sales and management professionals within our industry, the mortgage lending industry. Uh, he's been in business since 1988 uh, after an extensive professional sales career, which I'm sure he's going to share with us. Um, and uh, because I know where he's coming from, I know the quality of the sales training that he has. And so I thought, what a perfect time to get a true sales trainer on the phone with us and on our call. So welcome to Amori's Lending Mastery, uh, Dennis. Happy to have you on with us today. Good afternoon, Jen. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. So, Dennis, as you and I were talking just briefly, you know, I had ran across your article in the Scotsman's Guide, and that's what prompted me to reach out. But before we get to that, because it is a topic I do want to specifically talk about today, um, would you mind sharing with us a little bit about your background and how you approach, you know, this thought process of success and sales? Okay, glad to. My career started at the ripe age of 22 at a place called Xerox Corporation. I was right out of college. That was my very first job. And it was a great job to start off with because at the time, they were the single largest employer of salespeople in the U.S., known for their training and development. So I was a sales rep for three years, and the youngest person at Xerox had to make their President's Club at 23. So I was off to a good start in my career. Then I got involved in management and training and then going to what's called major account management. And by 1983, 
Xerox had had some errors they made, which caused them to lose a lot of their people. I hung in there for one more year and looked at where some of my people landed, and it was in the mortgage-related industry. So I looked into the opportunity in 1984, interviewed with a mortgage broker in San Jose, California, and after going back and forth for 30 days, I pulled the trigger. And February 1st, 1984, I became a loan officer. Now, the interest rates were 14.5% for a fixed-rate 30-year loan, so you really had no refinance opportunities. You had to work with a realtor to survive and develop your book of business. So after making a lot of errors that we can address during our conversation, I figured out a little bit how to really do this and pull it off. First year I did well, but the next two years I combined not only my realtor base, but with corporate accounts that I called on in their HR department to get referrals to large corporations to send me when an employee comes to work, I'd be the first lender who would talk to them regarding financing. So I did that through 1986, and then I was asked to open a branch system, had 10 branches, 60 LOs, 25 processors that worked for me in the state of California in 1987. I looked around and said, I know how to sell from Xerox. I've now learned the mortgage industry, and I saw a huge need in our industry for professional training and development. There really wasn't a corporate training process from anyone I saw out there. So I started my company in 1988, and now today I've trained over 117,000 people in the U.S., Australia, and Canada. So that's kind of a background on who I am. Yeah, awesome. So you and I got in the business. Um, I actually got in the business one year before you did. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've been around for a long time, and I have to say that I can I I would not be able to count on one hand because there's so many people that I hired from Xerox and from uh, Hewlett Packard. Um, you know, all of the copy. We just wanted every copier salesperson because they had that traditional sales training. That in Nordstrom. Yeah, <laughs> they were customer service based. Yep. We used to go to lunch at Nordstrom to try to hire people. <laughs> um, so I certainly, I certainly know that. So you know, this begs the question that that um, I want to talk. One part that I want to talk about too, and I have um, also been traditionally sales trained. So I I know all of the traditional sales training. Used to do the training for a major um, mortgage company across the United States. Um, but there's a lot of people in our industry now that don't have traditional sales training behind them. They, they were, they kind of grew up through, you know, being under the tutelage of a um, loan officer who is producing, and so that becomes their sales strategy, their sales tactic. You know, whatever they learned from this other person. And um, so, how in today, you know, in 2017, how important do you think it is? that we need to have traditional sales training given the fact that it's such a competitive market. It's huge because the companies that I work with today that are mortgage bankers that have what they call an academy, uh, I tend to see a lot higher quality results from their people who are put through a really good transitional training program where they learn, even if they don't have their license, they go through their licensing requirement, or if they have their license, all the basic components of how to work their LOS system, how to be efficient in the beginning stages of really completing a quality mortgage application, all doing all the right things with their individual system. And I think without that, you're risking not only turnover, which is the highest cost of business, but you're risking the customer dissatisfaction because you have too much turnover in a geographical area. They don't want to see different reps every six months to a year. They want to have someone they establish a relationship with 
and then who will develop that long-term bond with them so they feel comfortable as a realtor referring their client to them. The lender is an extension of the realtor, and if the lender is confident and the realtor is confident, then the borrower will have a great customer experience. If it's not that way and there's constant turnover, the realtor is not going to use the lending organization who has constant revolving door. So I would say it's paramount to a lender's success to invest in the training of their initial hires or even if they get, quote, and quote, an experienced person, they may be coming in with bad habits. They may be coming in, like you mentioned, Jen, many times a salesperson who's successful sometimes will try and start their own shop or become a manager. Great salespeople are not necessarily great managers. There's not a correlation to production and management. And that is also a developed skill, how to manage the staff. So what we do is we go into organizations and train their management first, and then we work with their staff. Once the management's in place, you can develop a quality team. Yeah, absolutely, Bing. I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I've, I've been hounding on this topic for I don't know how long, and I, I always use the example, and definitely in our industry, but I always use the example of the, the plumber that I met at my B&I. Just because he was a great plumber doesn't mean he knows how to refer business, doesn't know how to sell and make his business successful, certainly doesn't necessarily know how to run a business, you know, from the P&L perspective as well. And I think that those um, – there were plenty of those, right? There were plenty right. of loan officers who came in for six months and started their own shop, plenty. <laughs> and we have we have some of the results of that. Knowing how to unplug a now. toilet doesn't mean you know how to build a house. Right. That's, <laughs> that's exactly it. I think that's great. So, you know, that's definitely going to resonate with me because um, especially now, you know, we have this rising, uh, you know, group of individuals. I'm trying not to use the M word. We have this rising group of individuals that are, you know, leaving college or are on their second job and, and uh, you know, whatever their degree didn't work out. And now they're starting to explore our industry. And we have an aging industry. Um, mortgage professionals and we have this huge gap in between and to think that you could just hire a bunch of um, individuals regardless I I don't care what their age is but people that aren't experienced in our business and don't know anything about sales or even our industry which god I would never want to be someone coming in new right now and being there's no way that you know the old days was here's a rate sheet go with some donuts now we can't there's no way we can do that yet I yeah. know companies that are still doing that. So, um, you well, know, so what I hear you saying because with the, the, oh, what we're in right now is a technology. digital lending world. Uh-huh. I would say yeah. of the major lenders that I train, and, and if you go to our website, you'll see on the bottom of it all the different lenders mm-hmm. train. I saw yeah. that the world that I deal with now is a lot of direct, consumer direct digital lending and or even the ones that are traditional retail, uh, distributive retail, when they go out there, what you're going to see is that you can't find the realtor in their office. So you're going to have to be able to locate them, set up a time to meet with them, and you're going to have to do a lot of your communication via electronic communication, whether the Internet, email, text, whatever. And you have to have a blend of skill set to realize the lending world that we know and knew is gone. And it's not coming back. And you have to adapt yeah. to this reality if you're going to succeed. And that's the article you referenced is truly based on how do you differentiate yourself from your competition. And to and, do and, that, and, you have to have a clean mm-hmm. mindset. You can't go into it saying what I did last year works. 
last year's gone, and you have to really adapt to it. Yeah, and I think that, you know, when I – when I first started reading the article, you know, know what sets you apart from your peers, you know, which I think was um, powerful instead of starting with what differentiates you, because I think that it becomes very diluted. I, I think the noise that loan officers are hearing and companies are, you have to differentiate yourself. You have to. You have to differentiate. <laughs> you have to use social media. And I think it becomes very diluted when it, the, what's lacking is and what, what is something that I really harp on is, yeah, we know we need to. We know, we hear you. We know we need to do all those things. We know what to do, but we don't know how to do it. Correct. And therein lies the issue on why people don't take the extra steps to differentiate themselves. Um, and so well, I, I, you, I totally agree uh, with you, you with that, yeah. Which could really help the audience. Many people utilize what's called the drip campaign, which mm-hmm. totally opposed to. My approach is the antithesis of that. So let's say, for example, a a loan officer listening to this call is in a geographical area. We'll call it Fairfax, Virginia. And in that area, they have potentially three to five offices and the aggregate total of realtors in those offices they might be able to contact. Let's just call it 100 for round numbers. So what they do is they get the contact information from the receptionist or the manager, and they have all their information, whether it be phone numbers or email, whatever it may be, and they start to do a mass market campaign. The problem with that is you're not delineating who you are versus other lenders who could do the same thing. If you treat the realtor as if they're a commodity, price becomes a determining characteristic they look at for their borrower because you haven't differentiated that you're any different than any other lender. So there's an article that everyone can look into, and I encourage them to Google this. It's called Interruption Versus Transparent Marketing. Interruption marketing is what you and I get in our inbox from, oh, my gosh, Tervis Tumblr or Omaha Steaks. Once you bought their product, you liked it, but you didn't ask to be inundated with email after email. Even if you hit the unsubscribe button, they figure out how to keep doing it. So that badgering of you as a client actually dilutes their brand. Well, in our industry, it's no different. If I send you a communication, and I've never met you, I've never worked with you, yet I consistently put you on my campaign, all I'm doing is aggravating you. When you go back to when you and I started, lenders would come in and they'd put flyers in a box. And we'd look at that, and the realtor's box would be stuffed. You know what they would do? They'd go over and grab it and toss it in the circular file because there was no Mm -hmm. delineation of lender A to lender B. We've advanced. Now we do email. It doesn't matter. It's just like stuff in the box. And so what you have to realize is that interruption marketing is an irritant, but more importantly, it dilutes the brand of who you as an individual or your company are. Transparent marketing, on the other hand, is you have a base of realtors that you currently get referrals from. You have realtors that you've met, and in our system of selling, we teach how to get the appointment, how to control the call, how to have the interview, and then how to follow up. With those individuals you've done that with, now you put them on what's called the transparent marketing campaign. You hit them twice a month with something of substance, relevance, value, and when they open it up, they go, hey, this was a good piece. I'm glad I opened it up, and it's good to hear from that lender because I'm not badgering you. I'm not pestering you. I'm actually doing a quality marketing campaign, which will get me a return. If I've not met with you, why should I send you information? Right. Yeah. And I think that's really key, too, because I hear from loan officers that even that I coach 
saying, you know, I've got all these loan up, all these realtors in my database, the, these names in my database because they're like cats on a marble floor. They go to networking. They, the name of the game is gathering up as many business cards as I can so I can put them in my database so that I now can set it and forget it by just doing a drip campaign. Yeah, it's insane. Rather than saying, you know what, let's be a little more selective. Let's take those cards, see if we can get a chance to meet with them, and from there make the decision to put them into our database with high-quality content, correct? No one works today with somebody they don't know. They don't because you right. are basically viewed as the same as everybody else. But if you have an individual in exchange, sit down, know the realtor's business, their challenges, their issues, talk about who they work with now, why they work with them, and show where you may be different than their current financial sources they work with, you have a chance. But if you just do it via email, you have zero. I agree. Okay, so what do you feel that we need to be perceived in our, in our highest value? You know, what, what, what can we do to be perceived that way when we're starting out with a conversation or throughout the, the process of that? And I know that's leaning more towards the article at this point. That's all right. But, I mean, the answer to your question mm -hmm. is there's not one set way to do it. You have to have in your skill set what works best for you. So let's say, for example, you know that the agent you are calling on, they do traditional marketing. They're in the grocery cart. They're in the food divider on the, the belt of foods in the grocery store, which I think now I see in every grocery store in the U.S. Um, or they are the one who is sending out their direct mail campaign to a geographical area, as you know, it called the farm. And I Farming. Get, yeah, and I get their flyers every, every week when I get back from my trips, and I look at them, and this is your listing, and this is your sale. So that's what the realtor does. But how many things does a realtor not do? For example, if a lender knows that a person has a for sale by owner, the realtor obviously may not pursue that initially. If the lender goes out there and offers what I call a free financial evaluation to that seller when a buyer comes to put an offer, they build that relationship. Now, that seller is going to go buy a home somewhere else. If I then effectively go beyond the prequel and my free financial evaluation and do a preapproval, I basically mean turning over a cash buyer to a buyer's agent to represent this client when they go look at another home. They'll find me to be very advantageous because I brought value to them. More importantly, I brought business. The key to differentiating yourself is you have to think, what doesn't the realtor currently do to generate a buyer or a seller, and what can I do to show them this could be a method, and then I establish a quid pro quo relationship. I'm glad to offer tools to help you grow your business. My expectation back is if it yields something, I'm the first lender who talks to your client based on what my marketing support was. You obviously right. can't ask directly for the client because then you violate RESPA, but you can ask to be the first lender who speaks to the buyer that was generated from the realtor after you gave them a marketing tool they didn't currently use. There are 10 ways realtors can get clients. You need to know all 10 of those, and more importantly, if they're not doing one or two of those, help them understand how to do it and be an asset, basically a business partner. Then you differentiate right. yourself from the average lender who comes in saying, do you have a buyer today? Do you have a buyer today? I don't, I don't need that. Right. <laughs> right. Right. I think so, so generally based on, you know, who you've um, had the opportunity to coach nationally and, and what your experience has been in that realm, what are you seeing that, um, or I'm just going to ask address the direct question is, do you feel that, loan officers, maybe there's a percentage, are armed with enough 
knowledge and skill set skill set to be able to actually help the realtors because as you're talking about this there are people that I coach that there's no there's no way they would approach a FISBO because they, I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I don't know what to say. Um, well, others will say, I, there's there. no One, way I can do a class. I can't yeah. teach in front of people. I can't stand up in front. So what do we need to do to, to um, bring that gap together? Well, that's, that's, that is the uh, $64 million question. I mean, the, the, the challenge you have is that a sales process, whether it be something that you've done or that I do, will only yield return if it's managed after the event. So you have a choice. You can do event training, which is a seminar in front of 200 people, or you can do corporate development training, which is where my expertise comes into play and where I see the biggest return for the clients that I work with. When you come in and from the top down you establish a sales culture, the right process that is then implemented, executed, and followed up with by management. Salespeople defer to the path of least resistance. You know that and I know that. So if they're not managed after the training is put in place and also equally tested after you give them a skill set. For example, um, when I train most of my lenders, it's a two-day program. Day one is the actual learning and the knowledge of either consumer direct or calling on realtors or for MI companies how to call on lenders or from wholesale or correspondent how to work with a lender. You give them all the tools. Then you give them an assignment to prepare, and the next day they go through a videotape role play where they have to sell using the process they learned, and their peers critique how effectively they did because people learn by critiquing as well as by doing the call, and then we play it back and dissect it step by step. That's Xerox's training system tailored to our industry. Now, many companies may not be able to afford an outside consultant. They can do that themselves with a simple SLR camera and a tripod, give people good quality skills. There's a lot of places to find a good core skill set, and then put them through a simulated call where the manager plays the realtor, the other person does the loan officer, and they do a call. And then their peers critique it, and they play it back, and you can watch it on your computer, put it through an LCD projector. But people are developed with training and practice. They're not developed by going to a seminar, hey, that was great for three hours, and then three weeks later they're back to their old habits. So the only way to change this cycle, Jen, is to establish a management culture that implements what they're trained on. And that's the good companies yeah. I work with do that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, you know who I used to work for, World Savings. Oh, my God. That the was old... Tom Marquardt and all those guys. Oh, Jim my gosh. Tom, yeah, Tom's a great friend of mine. Yep, yep. We're all, all Xerox. Um, We're all Xerox. Guys. Yes, I know. I know. And, you know, and Tom was number one for the company, and I was number two for the company. And I, you know, Tom and I used to work together all the time. And that's what we did. We would pull people in, we would do flip charts, the old flip chart presentation yep. with markers and everything and videotape everybody and, um, well, you know, get, get their panties in their in a wad. And then by the yep. time they were done, they know how to sell and they're the best salespeople today. They're the people that have stayed in the business. And pick you know, a pay loan. Remember that one, Jen? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I did that. I did that for twelve years. I was a regional manager, Not a bad and I thought that's all I do is teach people how to do those, you know, the traditional sales tactics. So, right. so it's very interesting. So, so what is your take on what's happening? You know, if we can go back to you know the conversation about new people in the business, what's your take on the strategies for that? I mean, I, I hear you saying you know new people need to be trained. People that have experience probably need to be retrained. Correct. Um, 
but but what is your your uh, what's your thought process on some of the best practices for doing that? Um, aside as an aside, and I don't mean not using your in terms of you know, I'm, I'm, come in. Tell me what you mean by the question. Is it is it? Yeah, in, in terms of uh, training them, is is it um, bringing people on board and kind of keeping them behind the scenes for thirty days? Is it a six month program? Is it a you know kind of run around and be uh, the servant to the underwriter and the processor and other loan officers so that you can learn the tactic? I mean, what have you found is the best way to integrate and transition people into our industry? It depends on the size of your organization. If you're a mortgage banker, I definitely believe you should be investing in, like I mentioned previously, some sort of an academy. And that can vary. I mean, an experienced person to learn your internal LOS system and your processes could be a month, no more than two, tops, to where they can be unleashed and let them go after their book of business and with this new company. But a person that you bring in that is one to three years who's just maybe getting their feet wet in the industry, I'd give them more three to six months. A person you hire who's got a great future from a sales perspective point of view, and you've done all your testing and your analogy, but they haven't worked in the mortgage industry, I still wouldn't give up on them. They're ideal because they have no bad habits, but they're a six-month process. So you have to go through all Mm -hmm. the learning and training and developing and getting them used to it. So the companies that I work with successfully, they work in what are called teams or pods. And the November issue in Scotsman Guide is, that's going to be published is how do you build a profitable team as your retail mm-hmm. operation? And I break down the functionary roles of each participant from a loan assistant to a loan coordinator to a processor and an originator, how you build a successful team to grow your business. It isn't a short-term event. It's a process, but if you do it right, you can take your business from 20 million to 40, from 40 to 80, and then you just add more coordinators and assistants. And then the guys that I work with that are really successful are in the 120 to 150 million a year range. Right. And so, and so your suggestion is, and I and I, I love that you just kind of laid that out in, in different terms. Um, and and I see it happening in my company as well, where um, new loan officers uh, are being brought onto the to the company, and depending on what what they bring, whether they're tenured or not, they're they're automatically placed on a team, or they are uh, coupled up with a mentor loan right. officer. I, and I think all that's great. It's the question for me, and why I'm having a little bit of a struggle with it with our our company is that, you know, I what we have is we have other loan officers training loan officers, and so we're repeating that the same cycle again. Oh, I where agree. There's not that's... a an initial stopgap that comes in and says, hey, this is how the company culture is, this is what it is, and now you can go be attached to a loan officer. That's why I said before, you've got to make the financial commitment, so you've got to probably be a mid to a large-sized mortgage banker to pull that off. A broker may not see the financial return, so they make, I hate to say it, a short-sighted decision and say, I'm only going to hire people that have got experience and know what they're doing. They have a book of business. I'll hire you. I'll pay you more to come over here. So you end up paying bonuses for what could be someone else's problem. That's a big mistake. You don't need to do that. If you have more investment in a good quality training culture, hire someone who's got training background and then teach them what your culture is as a mortgage company. Let them do the initial part to get the person prepped. They're going to have a far greater return and not have to pay someone a large bonus to get them to come to work with them. Investment in a bonus in a training department, not as have to be an extensive department. It could be one person who's competent, skilled, has corporate experience in other companies in our industry. For example, you look at a lot of the big banks today, they may have gone through some things and they've lost personnel. 
part of that personnel that gets cut off a lot of times is support staff, meaning training. Those people are known right. in the industry. They are looking for an opportunity. That's where you should do your research to try and find someone who can be that person in your operation who makes your people more productive. That's food for thought, but I'm telling you, you have to make the commitment to it. It can't be short term. You have to say, this is what I'm going to do in my company, and I know it's going to get, pay me dividends, but the dividends may not be till three or five years down the road. Are they invested right. in their future? Or are they looking for a short-term fix? Right, right. And, you know, and I just saw that happen with um, uh, somebody in my area that um, paid a very high bonus to, you know, pay to play, paid a high bonus to bring someone on board. And what I know about that someone is that while they are a top producer, they have a lot of um, problem deals and the individual themselves is an alcoholic. And so they're, they're just seeing numbers right? They're yep. saying, hey, this person does a lot of numbers. How can I buy them and bring them in? But now you're buying all the problems that come along with that. And I, I'd rather have someone who does, uh, well, not $10 million, right? so I'd rather have someone who does $10 million a month than someone who does $20 million, and it's hell in a handbasket to make it happen. And I need more people because of the lack of control that the person has. Well, there are two things um, that happen. There's, well, I call it the SAM effect, and the SAM is for Samsonite. You're bringing in bad baggage. And when <laughs> easiest way to relate it. So when yeah, I get somebody yeah. who's got bad baggage, not only are they could be a problem internally in my, with my staff, potential relationships in my company, but most importantly, like you said, they could be doing deals who clog up our system. So my turn time yeah. that was pretty efficient as an operation goes from getting a deal closed for a realtor in 30 days, and now it's 35 because they don't get their job done properly. That word gets out in the real estate community, and all of a sudden, because I brought on one person who I thought was going to be great because their numbers, now it impacts my realtor community. You've got to do yeah. more research, and you have to invest smartly in your future. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing all that great insight. I, I love that. So now let's get back to... What can we do to set ourselves apart from our peers if, and this is a big if, okay, because I'm going to assume that the majority of people that are listening have not been through a hardcore sales program. So recognize the fact that we, don't, that we may not have people that have been in traditional sales Right. That, that, you know, have that, that still have the mindset of, of the interruption type of selling. So if you could guide us through that, that would be absolutely wonderful. I'm not a big believer on, on selling the idea of reading books to improve yourself, although I have read some myself. But there is one in our industry. Ironically, it's not industry-related. I picked it up in the Miami airport on the way to do a, a corporate meeting Unfortunately, and no one couldn't do any more. It was in Key West, um, one of my favorite spots. But the, the company who had me down there, I had a layover in Miami, and I saw this book, and it caught my eye because of the title. It's called How to Get Your Competition Fired, and the fired is in big letters. I believe wow. the author is a guy named Randy Schwantz. I've never met Randy. I have no idea who he is or what he's like. But his book hit me very effectively right between the eyes. He talked about what I teach in my system, and you may have heard his closed-end questions. I call them narrow. He calls them wedge questions. They're questions that go to your individual or company's strength and ask to make the client you're selling to Think about what aren't they getting currently from the lenders they work with or the companies that they work with and how you can provide a differential. And okay. this book is really good. In fact, I just talked to one of the people I'm coaching today before our call, 
And he goes, hey, I finished the book on my trip over to Korea, came back. He goes, I've changed my perspective on how to go and approach some of my realtors because you were right. It makes me think differently about what questions I ask to truly create a value proposition. The book's good. I mean, I give the guy a lot of credit, and it applies to any industry, but it really can apply effectively to our industry. So that's one way you differentiate yourself. You figure out how do I go in and establish in my customer's mind that I have an advantage or potential value over what they currently have. You can't badmouth okay. another lender. That's unethical and unprofessional. But you can sure ask questions which expose deficiencies. Another thing mm -hmm. you may have heard of before okay. – is the process I learned is in, when I worked at Xerox called spin selling. Now, if you're any of the people on here have not heard it or if you're not familiar with it, the acronym is not for a political commentation. It's about these four components. S stands for situation. Always go into a call and understand the client's situation, their book of business, the challenges they have, and in particular where they focus their selling efforts. Then when you know their situation, ask questions that can create a problem, and that's where that book will come into play. How do you create a problem on a purchase transaction? Well, I can ask a rhetorical question to the audience here. Do problems ever pop up on a purchase loan? The answer is obviously yes. So what yeah, occurs, they do. <laughs> we can get where they do. And if we can get the realtor to discuss the problem, then what you do is you go to the I component, magnify the implication when that problem occurs. Have you ever lost a deal? Has it cost you a client? If you're at a problem with another agent or your relationship blew up? If you can create the implication, they start to visualize it and potentially monetize it. Then you come in with the end, the need solution. Here's what myself mm -hmm. and my company can do to prevent that in the future. So it's S, situation, P, problem, I, implication, N, need solution. It's a very good approach to thinking on the, a point, and you separate yourself from the average lender who has no concept how to do that with a realtor. So, Yep, because I, you know, what happens is a lot, and I, I'm sorry to inject, but what happens a lot is uh, people go in with the N first. Assuming they know what your needs are, you know, and I always, I always make the uh, when I'm when I'm teaching or speaking, I'm saying, you know, we've got this big toolbox, and instead of going in and listening to questions, show me the problem, show me where the you know toilet's leaking, show me where all these things are, and aha, I have a solution. Let me pull the right tool out. We tend to go in and dump our toolbox out onto the floor, and it's a big mess. It's a big disaster, and say. I can offer you everything you possibly need, and it becomes um, a situation where the person says, now there's too many choices. I can't really tell the difference. Ah, differentiation, right? Can't really see what makes you different because it's just a big pile of gunk. I call it show up and, and when yeah, someone well, comes I in. Yeah, well, I was going to say bust. that. I'm going to let you say that. I was going to say that because I used to always say that, but I try, you know, <laughs> get regurgitating on people, right? <laughs> right? Excellent. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think, you know, if you're listening in, I mean, gosh, it's super easy, right? Spin. How can I spin this in my direction using this uh, acronym? Uh, you just remember the acronym and you have a lot of fun selling. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. What else can you can you give us to? Um, so that helps us with our conversation with them. So what is going to get us to yeah, we've them? Talked about a couple, How are we going to do that? Yeah, we've talked about a couple things. We've talked about differentiate your marketing, differentiate yourself at the point of sale. And a critical part, Jen, that people overlook, which is so – it's basically for me it's a huge mistake. They forget about follow-up. 
Rarely in the retail lending industry do you get immediate gratification at the point of sale. For example, if I called on you today in your office as a real estate agent and you kind of liked me and I got along well with you, I can't go, hey, I know you just sold the house an hour before I showed up. And is your buyer here? Are they waiting for us to talk together? And if they sell, <laughs> hey, perfect, let's do that. I mean, I, I live in Southern California. People, I don't people live in, hear it, though. I don't live in Disneyland. So, I mean, the reality is <laughs> you're not going to have that happen. So you mm-hmm. have to generate the interest in the, in the realtor to potentially see that maybe as a lender you might be a source they could consider. Then they're going to gauge as you follow up. If you don't follow up, it was a one-and-done type conversation. But if you mm-hmm. show good, focused follow-up, send that realtor a quality business email after a discussion, recap the key things that you talked about during the discussion, meaning you took notes on the call, which some people have no idea how to do that, and then you, after you've had that, you send that email. That impresses the realtor. You had quality in your communication. You followed up. You might be a responsible individual. Then what you do follow up three or four days later with a phone call, even if they don't answer, leave a voicemail, hey, really enjoyed my conversation, look forward to working with you. Now the agent knows, hey, you are committed and you're serious. Then what I suggest strongly they do is at least once a week some contact so they get to the realtor to understand. This person is, one, not going away, and two, when they follow up, they either send a business email, they leave a quality voicemail, or they pop by my office, and even if I'm not there, they leave a handwritten note. Hey, sorry, I missed you, Jen. Look forward to working with you as we discussed. The separation of lack of follow-up to quality follow-up is what makes a top producer versus an average producer. So if you really want to see yeah. this industry, it isn't what you do at the point of sale. It's what you do in follow-up to yield the relationship. You cannot forget that. Yeah, and, you know, it sounds like such a very simple simple, simple thing, right? To be able to follow, fortunes in the follow-up, right? And, and that truly is where the fortune is made. And it seems very, very simple. So here's what people will tell you here. That here's the justification and the excuses that, that a lot of loan officers will do is, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I don't, I don't know what to do after five times because I, you know, I've already done that and I don't know what to do now. What, what do I do in the 20th time I follow up, in the 50th time I follow up? That's one excuse. And the other excuse if is you don't get I'd like to. Yeah, oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say the other excuse is I liked, I'd like to, um, to do that, but uh, I have to deal with this loan. I have to deal with this problem I have here. I have another problem with this. Or they don't have a CRM to even remember who to call. But, but a lot of times it's just that I don't have time to follow up with them because I'm, I'm taking care of the minutia and what I call in my book the minder job, you right. know, the minder um, piece of the job, not the finding piece of the job. So what kind of um, advice can you give to someone to overcome those hurdles? Well, there's two do, things. The first thing is, it. when you look at our system of selling, it's very simple, simplified. You follow up with the people that are currently sending you clients, and you hit them at least once a week. And that time to spend, and trust me, most people don't have 10 realtor relationships that send them a deal once every 60 days, which is our criteria. You're only considered mm-hmm. a client if you send me a client referral once every other month. If you're not past that, you're a past relationship that's gone dormant. So I have to react to right. the relationship. So mm-hmm. I bet most people on this call would be fortunate if they said, I have 10 Category 1 realtors who send me a client once every 60 days. That's, by the mm-hmm. way, the March issue on how to build a realtor book of business in the Scotsman Guide this year. So that follows up. The April one is how do you differentiate. 
But then, in regardless of that, here's the point. Now, let's say I've got eight. Let's say I've got five, which is more realistic in today's business world because people have not called enough on realtors. So I've got five right now who I have to maintain. And I go out and I see them, and I hit each one of them at least with a communication, or I stop by and leave a handwritten note. That'll take you two hours, Jen, maybe three in the week, not right. per day, in the week. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, now. I'm going to do two business development calls, and here's the category to define that. It's a valid prospect of a good quality agent or one of my old relationships gone dormant. I'm going to have a 15-minute meeting. That's all I need to have for a quality sales call. I can use spin. I can use a variety of processes, but I'm going to sit down, understand their book of business, who they use, why they use them, and then I'm going to do a professional follow-up. Then I hit them once a week and just asking how they're doing. I may never leave my house. And I can do the follow-up on the phone or an email. And then occasionally, once every other week, I go out and, hand, and visit them. Nobody, repeat, nobody on this phone call or this uh, podcast can tell me they can't do that. It's they choose not to. So there's no one who's so busy in their pipeline. And I've got guys, like I said, who do $60 million to $150 million a year, and they do it. You know Why? because they want to do it, and they know it's going to yield a return. Someone who's doing less than a million a month, you've got more time on your hands than you know what to do with. Use it productively. See a realtor. Yeah, I know. Well, this is the other – I'm I'm not plugging my book. It's just funny. No, it is. It is, because because what I wanted to name my book was Shut Up, Go Do It. There you go. Just shut up. Shut up. Go do it, right? And, and then we backed it off to stop talking, take action. Um, <laughs> Might be more effective. The other one's a little bit direct and too blunt, but I do Right, it is. Right, because that's what I really wanted to call it. But, yeah. but um, you know, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, you know, and I taught a class yesterday with realtor, to realtors, and I said, I, I don't understand. I mean, to make $150,000 a year, you need, as a realtor, you need one referral a week. One referral a week to make $150,000 a year. What are you doing with your time? I don't get it. What are you doing with your time? Everyone finds reasons to fail. And some people fear success Uh because once you taste it, you have to replicate it. I don't think people fear failure. They fear success because once they have it, they know they have to keep it going. And therefore, that means do all the little things right and become habit. Some people don't want to change their current behavior. So they resist new habit. It's sad, but it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so just to reiterate so that we, we all understand whether we've had formal sales training or not, that we want to, one, first we want to read this book, How to Get Your Competition Fired, right? Courage up. That's the first thing. Absolutely. So that we can start asking these wedge, wedge questions, which are probably a combination of open-ended and closed-end questions. When we're with them face-to-face, we want to use spin selling, right? We want to... Um, you want to use the SPIN for situation. So it's an easy acronym to remember. Yeah. Situation, problem solving. Um, implication. Implication. Need, and need solution. Right. The implication and needs. And then you can go to the solution. Um, and then the last part that you've mentioned now is that we also want to make sure that we're doing follow-up. If you took all this time to try to get in front of somebody to have a quality conversation with them through the spin process, why would you not want to follow up? What a waste of time, right? Totally. And be responsible and have a, a system for it. I mean, truly a system for follow-up so that you don't have any leaks in your system and nothing slips through the cracks. It becomes repetitive behavior, and for adults it takes 90 days. Mm-hmm. 
and change. So if the audience here commits to this, and the time to call on realtors is the fourth and the first quarter of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. When the realtor gets yeah. busy the second and third quarter of the calendar year, they're not going to be as likely to sit down with a new lending partner. They're going to have their ones in place. So you've got to call on the realtors now as they wind down the year, and then when it's slower at the beginning, that's the ideal time to have these 15-minute meetings. Establish your value, establish your follow-up, and then you may get a chance when they get busy to get into the game and play. Final thing I'll leave you with, Jan, is this thought. Yeah, go ahead. When you think about all of this, it's been focused on the third-party referral. But the challenge that many lenders face today is the borrower. As a last mm-hmm. referral source, I'm going to recommend you the January 2017 guide, which kicked off the calendar year in the Scotsman Guide. It's called Why Do Borrowers Shop? And in that article, we address all the mistakes that are made not only in consumer direct but in retail on doing the wrong thing with the borrower to breed a shopping in mentality. Our industry is dramatically lacking in skill set with borrowers. They're inclined to give them way too much information. They don't do that spin selling with the borrower, which you can apply the same principles. And they don't understand that the best product for the borrower is the key to the call, not the rates, points, and fees. Yet lenders go to what I call the RPF factor, which is rates, points, and fees way too quick in a call, versus sitting back analyzing from the client key questions such as, you know, tell me, how long do you see yourself staying in the property? What is your objective with this loan? Before you choose yeah. a lender, what is the criteria you will use to select a lender for your mortgage? How many times do you ever hear that when you call a lender, these type of professional selling questions? The answer is hardly ever. And so right. if right. you want to differentiate yourself, the theme of this call, be different with the borrower as well as the realtor, and you're more likely to get the application. That article addresses yeah. all these issues and more. So the three articles they all should look at as a group here are January, March, and April 2017 Scotsman Guide. They address all these topics in a very succinct manner. And we want to also look at the November one when it comes out. Coming out on building a team. And then I have another one. Yep. How to deal, how the role of the realtor in the digital lending age. That will be December's issue. Okay, awesome, great. So what, and again, so you would, it, I encourage people to go to my website. I appreciate you referencing that. Yep, that's w- what I was going to say. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, so how does everybody reach you? To go to, we can go to DennisBlack.com, right? We can get okay. all the information that we need there. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave us with today? Do you have a special quote? Do you have another book that you've been reading that you'd like to share with us? Not really, Jen. I appreciate it. I appreciate the chance to talk to your audience and, and be a part of it. Um, and for the okay. forum to be able to have this discussion. I think it's good stuff that you're doing. Keep it up. Well, thank you. I appreciate it very much. I know, you know, every call I have, I learn something, and I um, am so grateful for you um, taking the time to do this. And um, everybody, share this again with your friends. Um, this is some powerful information that you should be sharing with your team. Hopefully you're taking these podcasts and you're using them in your sales meetings or in your team meetings so that all of you are learning and growing at the same, you know, the same rate and you're picking up on these new ideas so that you can all implement them to make your business grow bigger and bigger. So again, I thank you for listening in. Thank you for sharing with your friends and for writing a review for us on iTunes as always. And I will catch you next time on Mortgage Lending Mastery. 
Hey everybody, once again, I'd like to thank Maxwell for sponsoring today's podcast. If you are looking to reduce your paperwork, speed up your time to close, and have happier borrowers, they would love to hear from you. Simply text Maxwell to 797979. That's Maxwell, M-A-X-W-E-L-L, to 797979. And make sure to mention Spark, S-P-A-R-K, to receive a special 20% off for your first six months. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Mortgage Lending Mastery. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a comment or rating. Get more free email updates, transcripts, selling and education resources, and Jen's upcoming speaking events. Just visit our website at kineticsparkconsulting.com.